Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest today is Eric Marr, supervisor or city council member in the city of San Francisco. He was elected to that position in November 2008 to represent District 1, the Richmond District of the city of San Francisco. For over two decades, Eric has been dedicated and a responsive advocate for working families, youth and seniors, small businesses, and all the diverse residents of the Richmond District of San Francisco and San Francisco itself. Before that, Eric served as a commissioner and past president of the San Francisco Board of Education, and he's had a, a long history of uh, being politically active and working in advocacy, uh, advocacy positions. So, Eric, welcome. I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you, Kelly. Um, you're very well known nationally for a particular bit of legislation that you introduce in the city of San Francisco, that is requiring that certain nutrition criteria be met for toys to be included in children's meals at fast food restaurants. And so I'd like to talk about that in specific because I know there are a lot of very interesting and surprising lessons that you probably learned from that experience. But before we do that, tell me a little bit about your political history and how you came to be in your current position. Yeah, I've been a community organizer and labor activist for many years. I come out of a grassroots organization in San Francisco's Chinatown called the Chinese Progressive Association. Um, I used to be the director of the Coalition for Immigrant Rights in San Francisco, and I'm an immigration and civil rights attorney. Um, I've taught at San Francisco State in the Department of, um, or the College of Ethnic Studies and Asian American Studies for 16 years. And before um, being elected to the Board of Supervisors in 2008, in San Francisco, I was on the school board and served as the president of our Board of Education. Um, that was for eight years as well. All right. Well, thank you. Tell me why you got interested in this issue of the nutrition and children's meals at fast food restaurants, or more broadly in the issue of things like obesity. So I'm, I'm a parent of a 10-year-old girl, and that's the age group that's quadrupled in obesity and overweight um, in the 30 years that since the invention of the kid's meal with a toy attached to it. And um, my daughter and I of, often kind of talk about food nowadays as she's getting uh, more aware. Um, but I, I was horrified to, to go cleaning through her um, room one day and to find so many um, My Little Pony, um, Littlest Pet Shop, Shrek, Star Wars stuff in there. And I just realized how much I, I've been influenced by the marketing and the industry. So it's a huge number of toys and all the unhealthy stuff that she's eaten over the years. Um, but I think it's largely because I, I'm concerned about her health and the health of many, many children in San Francisco, especially the lowest income um, kids, and especially African-American, Latino, and Pacific Islander kids in our communities. So tell me, uh, if you would, specifically what, what the legislation involved that you introduced. So our Healthy Meal Incentive Ordinance um, was inspired largely by many efforts of um, the Rudd Center, but also many grassroots and community-based groups or food access coalitions around the country. Um, our ordinance came several months after Supervisor Ken Yeager from Santa Clara County, and I think the inspiration also was from um, Samantha Graff from Oakland and different law and policy advisors over the years. So I wish I could take credit for inventing it, but I didn't, and it came out of many different other ideas. Other cities like Portland, Chicago, New York, and even a tiny little city called Superior, Wisconsin, have looked at the idea. So it's nothing new. I've been kind of like the vehicle or tool to bring it forward as a policy. But our Healthy Meal Incentive Ordinance 
really is addressing the way too high fat, sugar, and um, salt content in um, food that's served to kids um, with a toy attached. So what we did was we required um, any restaurant, so it wasn't targeted at um, chains or fast food necessarily, but everyone that uses a toy as an incentive item um, to reduce the amount of calories, fat, and sugar, like 600 calories per meal, and fruits and vegetables, and reducing the calories, fat, and salt content of the meal. And it wasn't, quote-unquote, a ban. And so we were framing this as not anti-toy or not a ban, but pro-healthier kids' options in their meals served by restaurants in our city. It was interesting how this got mischaracterized, as you alluded to, as a ban. And it really wasn't a ban on toys, that if restaurants could come up with reasonable meals with reasonable, that met reasonable nutrition criteria, then they could offer the toys. Why do you think that mischaracterization occurred? Well, I guess McDonald's and the California Restaurant Association immediately jumped in. They were very involved with trying to oppose Santa Clara County's um, new law that passed in April and was revised in May. So their lobbyists and their lawyers and their spin doctors were all over the place um, getting to the media and framing the issue much before um, our ragtag group of, I have two staff, and um, we had to build a coalition after introducing our ordinance. I think I introduced it in August, and but we spent April and May and the summer strategizing with local community advocates, um, building a coalition, but also unlike Santa Clara County, which had great public health and um, some parent and advocate groups, we tried to use it as an organizing vehicle to bring a new coalition together or to reconvene kind of a food access coalition that would be very deep so that we could um, withstand the opposition from not just McDonald's, but it was um, KFC, Taco Bell, and some of the other industry folks, but especially the lobbying and the lawyers that they threw at us, and then the media spin and framing it before we got there. It was a very difficult battle. What So t- tell me a little bit more about the opposition from the industry. So you said there was a lot of lobbying. Does that mean that, that they were sending you know, new people into the the city council chambers, and uh, were they lobbying you and your colleagues very hard more than before? So, yeah, they hired a very prominent downtown law firm or downtown lobbying firm, um, and they called meeting. They did a um, they called for meetings with us, um, and they flew out some top um, McDonald's executives and their top nutritionists. They were trying very hard to get us to withdraw the the legislation, but they also were spending, we think, hundreds of thousands of dollars on push polling. So they would have robocalls and um, real-life calls going to people saying, Supervisor Mars, legislation is moving forward. Do you want him to have a say over what your kid is eating? But it was the level of information that was being pushed to a huge population. Um, they also ran full-page ads. I think this was in um, August and September in the San Francisco Chronicle, um, we think that they spent hundreds of thousands on their lawyers. They flew out Susan Estrich, a famous feminist um, lawyer, and Quinn Emanuel was their downtown New York law firm, and the former dean of Stanford's Law School, Kathleen Sullivan, and others to um, advocate against the, um, our law, claiming that it would be knocked out on First Amendment grounds and restricting advertising to a corporation. So they were attempting to characterize their use of toys and meals as a form of speech. 
that therefore would be protected by the First Amendment? And we kept emphasizing that our policy is a very modest policy that requires um, restaurants to meet basic nutritional standards if they want to attach the toy. So we were very clear that it wasn't impacting First Amendment or advertising practices of a business. So it sounds like their fundamental arguments were that this wouldn't withstand legal challenge, but also that it was government nannyism, that you were, you you in particular, because you introduced the legislation, were telling people what they should eat. Yeah, so we, we focused with our coalition of parents and kids, pediatricians, um, public health and um, grassroots community-based groups, especially in our lowest income communities, to say that this was about protecting kids' health and nothing was more important than the health of our children and the public's health. In- Similar to the fight against big tobacco, um, as they tried to spin saying cigarettes were not harmful, but we had to break through a lot of the corporate media spinning, um, but we used it by building a coalition and putting front and center, the especially the lowest income um, community groups, uh, one group in particular from Bayview Hunters Point, which is one of our lowest income multiracial but heavily African-American and Pacific Islander communities. So food guardians is what they're called and our Department of Public Health and others have supported different grassroots community-based efforts. So we were trying very hard to raise the leadership and the voice of lowest income communities to speak out for better food access and changing the food system to make it more sustainable and healthy for, for everyone. Could you explain a little bit more about the, the nature of the coalition that you put together? You've, you've alluded along the way to several of the groups that got involved, but were, were health professionals important? What about parent groups and things like that? Yeah, um, as a school board member, we worked very hard to, to get rid of um, sugar-sweetened drinks and sodas from our public schools. Um, but also, so there were a lot of the parent activists there. There were teachers and students. But I think a key organization was Corporate Accountability International, um, based in Boston, but they have now a number of people in the Bay Area as well. But um, Deborah Lapidus, a great organizer, um, came out to San Francisco and was, was key in helping us build a broader coalition. We also had prominent doctors like Carmen, Dr. Carmen Neverez, the head of the American Public Health Association, and a number of organizations from the Prevention Institute in Oakland to to many others, and we were consulting with the Center for Science and the Public Interest, and um, I was influenced heavily by Susan Lin and the Center for Commercial Free Childhood Education, but many groups were influential. But I think our coalition was um, based largely among the lowest income communities in San Francisco. So the Mission District, which is our heavily Latino and Chicano district, um, where childhood obesity is two to three times higher than the average um, we had groups like the Women's Collective of La Raza Central Legal, and we had um, also Mujeres Unidas y Activas, and then uh, groupings of people that had been active in the Tobacco-Free Coalition that um, worked on local policies and school policies to get rid of Joe Camel and the Marlboro Man and other icons like that that the tobacco industry had thrown at us. So we had a coalition of grassroots groups, health officials, teachers, and um, small businesses as well that were involved. How important did that coalition turn out to be? That was critical in many, many hearings. So I chair our Land Use and Economic Development Committee on our Board of Supervisors, and a number of hearings, McDonald's and the California Restaurant Association trotted out um, their quote-unquote nutritionists and others to explain, um, to put their point of view out. They also trucked in people from other parts of the Bay Area to speak out against the the ordinance, but we had a broad coalition, and I think the 
the media and the, the public relations work that we did, we tried to counter their assault with real people and real stories of how obesity is impacting people. And fast food industry, um, whether it's through their marketing and advertising, but also even in just the selling of their um, food to people, is making people unhealthy and sick. And how did this play out with the city, your, your fellow members of the city council and with the mayor? It was difficult. We had to educate every single member of the Board of Supervisors. There are 11 of us. We're a tiny little city of 820,000 people, so less than a million. We're not a huge city, um, and the 11 of us had to all be educated. But luckily, I had um, built several other allies, the the supervisor from the Mission District, David Campos, and our president of the board, and Chinatown supervisor, David Chu. So the three of us kind of were key, um, but we had to educate the mayor, Mayor Newsom, who was running for lieutenant governor at the time. At first, he said he was very supportive. His staff were saying that they may be supportive, but then we learned that he was planning to veto the ordinance. So it took a lot of effort to um, get not only six of 11 supervisors, that's the majority, but we needed to get up to eight supervisors in order to overcome a mayoral veto by, um, by Mayor Newsom. So targeting the seventh and eighth votes um, with small businesses and many different constituencies was um, a community organizing and advocacy um, um, strategy that um, many of the groups helped us with. And we were eventually successful in passing the ordinance in on November 2nd. But it took many different committee meetings and mobilizing and strategizing um, to target the seventh and eighth votes. So during all this process, did you feel personally attacked? Yeah. Um, many right-wing and conservative websites and bloggers, and there were quite a few emails or phone calls that were very, I guess I'll just say race, very racist and threatening um, that came to me personally and to my office. Um, so it was very important for me to build social support around m myself, but also to have really good um, human and social um, um, relationships with people because it was very difficult. Um, I and my staff and the coalition made many mistakes through the campaign and battle. And I think one was kind of going to okaying too many media interviews with hostile interviewers from um, Fox News Business Network to even The Daily Show, which we miscalculated thinking that um, it would be a, a fairly supportive um, um, production crew. But, but we learned a lot through the process to pick very carefully um, the, the type of media that we want to um, use and to get our message out and to frame it as opposed to letting our opposition frame everything. But for me personally, my daughter was attacked as well because I brought her into the public um, realm by mentioning her. But I think it's one thing that as a parent that I try to use the examples with her um, to learn the best we can and to laugh at herself sometimes, but also that it's a great learning process about how policy is made and how it takes real people and coalitions and organizing to make the most important changes that challenge institutional power like the fast food industry or the tobacco industry in making changes that protect the public's health and especially our kids' health. How has the industry responded after the, the ordinance got approved? Are you expecting them to sue or have they already? Um, after the meeting with the high-powered New York attorneys from Quinn Emanuel and others, we haven't heard about their legal strategy, but um, we do um, expect to be sued as soon as our law 
goes into effect in December of 2011. So that's in, um, in about nine months from now. And on what basis would you think the industry might take action? I mean, what sort of legal basis would they have for suing? You mentioned before that they might characterize this as a form of speech. Do you believe that might be their strategy? Yeah, that that will likely be their strategy. But we have a great team of attorneys in our city attorney's office and many public interest legal agencies that we'll be working with to vigorously defend our new law in San Francisco because we're protecting our children's health and the public's health. So if you could sum up some of the lessons learned from this experience, let's say others were considering taking action like this or other action, what sort of things would you say? Well, I'd like to say that your work and the Rudd Center has been tremendous in so many different studies and the data and the the research, but even just recommendations of how to move forward policy with a multi-pronged approach. Our effort in San Francisco is very modest, and it's based on decades of work by many, many people Um, But even like the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's uh, report from 2010 with the National League of Cities gave good recommendations. And I can't say enough positive things about Michelle Obama's um, Let's Move and other efforts or um, student nutrition programs and the passage of um, the Child Nutrition Act or the Healthy and Hunger-Free Kids Act. Those are all really important, but it's not enough. And even within our Shape Up SF coalition, which is our Department of Public Health, children, youth, and families work, um, the education, physical activity, and um, reducing barriers to access to food is not enough. We have to challenge big fast food corporations as much as we can to create healthier options. So I think lessons for me is don't underestimate the power of um, corporations and um, their their marketing and the industry and their spin doctors and build a broad coalition, um, build social support around yourselves as they attack you politically and, and culturally as well. Um, but I think that's really important. And I, I think for us in San Francisco, we're continuing on looking at zoning and economic development issues of making sure that there's better produce markets and grocery stores in many low-income neighborhoods. We're looking at broader community education about the industry of the food industry itself. So films like Supersize Me and Fresh and um, Fast Food or Food Inc. and others are really critical for middle schoolers or high schoolers to understand. And websites and new, um, new media efforts around the country that show stories of how people organize against a huge um, food industry is really critical. Um, I also think that multi-pronged approach with a local government is key. Our Department of Public Health Director Mitch Katz and Environmental Health Director Rajiv Bhatia and um, some Paula Jones, who's our food director, and many others were really, really instrumental. But Shape Up SF, kind of our coalition, was really important. They even brought in like the, the CEO of the YMCA and number of neighborhood centers to speak in support of our ordinance. But it was really a... Um, a grassroots and a coalition effort on many levels. You know, the, this signals something important in my mind. The, the nation begins, when they want to solve a problem like the obesity problem, begins looking at the federal level first, the state level second, and then the city level third. But sometimes things that are going on at the grassroots level become models for what can happen in higher levels of government. And so there are a few people out there who are the real um, pioneers. They're the, the engineers of invention, if you will, because they're the ones who are willing to take the personal risk, willing to take the political risk to be out front. 
and you're one of them, so congratulations for doing that. But I also just wanted to ask a final question. With New York City banning trans fats and the restaurant requiring menu labeling and now doing an anti-soda campaign, Seattle doing an anti-soda campaign, lots of other cities doing things, and then the actions you've taken in San Francisco, do you think the cities will continue to play a very important role in addressing these health issues related to unhealthy diets? Yes, and in San Francisco, um, a number of researchers from the University of California at San Francisco and community-based groups are already strategizing on other fronts. And I know that we'll be sharing that information kind of and um, strategizing with other groupings of public health, community, and um, parents and youth as well. But I'm hopeful that um, we will continue to um, communicate better and with stories of what we do at the local level so that we can have an impact at the state and federal level as well. But thanks for the great work of the Red Center, Kelly. Thank you. Well, and, and congratulations for being so courageous and effective. You know, God bless you for having done what you did. Our guest today was Supervisor Eric Marr from the city of San Francisco, a very dedicated public official and the architect of San Francisco's law and requiring nutrition criteria be met before toys could be placed in children's meals at fast food restaurants. Thank you very much, and please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources, including a free email newsletter that goes out monthly and a list of other podcasts that we've recorded with excellent visitors to the Rudd Center. Thank you.